My name is Jonathan Ritchie, and uh, my wife Jessie and I have been missionaries, or international workers we call them now, uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, for about 30 years, uh, first in Africa as uh, uh, working in Guinea, West Africa, among a Muslim people group, and then later, after about three terms there, uh, we were asked to go to South America, where we have been serving our national churches all over the continent as they are beginning to prepare uh, the whole process of sending their own international workers to Asia, uh, to Africa, uh, to uh, Middle East and Europe and all around the world, especially to the countries, focusing especially on countries of the greatest needs. And so it's been our privilege to be working uh, with all of these. Uh, we are truly international workers, having worked in Africa and now in South America and impacting the world uh, through the work that God has given to us. And it's been a joy to represent you, uh, this church, uh, in this type of work. By the way, I do have a few prayer cards. If you're interested, you may come see me afterwards and get one of those. And uh, I also have a couple of uh, sheets of paper on both sides here on the platform. If you would like to receive a regular uh, communique from us uh, from time to time, just kind of following what we do as we travel all through the region of South America and uh, training and, uh, and, uh, and helping our, our national churches in that process of sending missionaries. And just leave your prayer, uh, your, uh, uh, your, your email address, and we would be glad to add you to the list of those who are already receiving that. Uh, I grew up in Africa, and uh, my, my parents were missionaries in Cote d'Ivoire for many years, and my wife as well in Peru. Her parents were missionaries with the Alliance uh, in Peru. So we both come from a long history, many years of international work with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And so it was a privilege for us, for our children as well, to be born in Africa. One of the, uh, we, we try to uh, uh, read bedtime stories. We had a good selection of various bedtime stories that we would read our children uh, uh, as best that we could out there. And one of the books that they thoroughly, one of the books that was probably my favorite bedtime story for them was Mike Mulligan and a Steam Shovel. I don't know if any of you, anyone grew up with Mike Mulligan and the Steam Shovel. Very interesting story. Uh, Mike Mulligan uh, had a Steam Shovel, he, he, which, who he <coughs> fondly named Marianne. And they uh, were very busy digging uh, foundations for large buildings and uh, roads and uh, all of that. Uh, but over time, uh, the, unfortunately, the steam engine was replaced by larger, stronger, more powerful engines powered by gasoline and diesel. And uh, it was, became harder and harder for Mike and Marianne to find work. And so eventually they had to go leave the cities and go uh, into the country. Eventually they came across a, a small town that wanted to build a town hall. And so Mike uh, told the townspeople, well, you know, if you employ me, I, would be, uh, I will promise you that I could do it. I could dig the foundation for this town hall within, from sunup to sundown in one day. And if I don't do that, then you don't have to pay me anything. Well, the townspeople thought this is a pretty good deal. So uh, they employed him to do that. Next morning, right at sunup, uh, Mike and Marianne began digging, and they shoveled that dirt out of there as fast as they could work. And uh, before long, a, a large group of people gathered around that hole that was getting bigger and deeper as, uh, and uh, just uh, watching in amazement. Uh, finally, at sundown, 
they were able to get the last shovel full of dirt out of that hole. To people's amazement, it was incredible. Uh, well, the only one problem uh, was that they had not built a ramp to get out of that hole. There they were stuck in the very hole that they had dug. Well, as they were kind of whispering among themselves and wondering, what, what are we to do? You know, what are they going to do? Uh, one little girl in the crowd had came up with a pretty interesting solution. She said, well, why don't we convert Marianne into a, a, a he, the heating unit for the building and uh, we can employ Mike to be the janitor. So that's what they did. And so Mike and Marianne ended their days down in the basement of this town hall. Now, the world is rapidly changing. There's a lot of political instability, uh, increasing hostility towards believers, uh, millions yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's so much more that we can be doing uh, as a body of Christ. And the question is, how are we to live our days? Do we live out our days in the basement of a building, so to speak, uh, as the world continually, uh, continues to, to seemingly self-destruct, as millions continue to step over the cliff uh, into eternity without Christ. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, our text uh, briefly this morning from 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, uh, verse 9. That's what we'll be uh, preaching from. But uh, just to give a little bit of context, uh, Peter is addressing the church. And at that time, the church was facing great persecution. Uh, they were... Uh, uh, there was uh, uh, many who were believing that they were living in the last days, that Christ was going to return at any time. In fact, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, he talks about how the world is going to end, how the heavens uh, will pass away with a terrible noise and the earth will be destroyed by, by fire. And so the, the church had many questions for Peter. And so Peter was addressing all of these, these thoughts, these questions that the early church had. And uh, he, came, he, he asked the question, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a good question for each of us as, uh, believe, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ to ask that, that question. What kind of people ought we to be? Another way of saying that might be, how then shall we live? And so let's uh, find the, some of those answers in our text found in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, excuse me, in verse 9, where Peter says, you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. May God bless the reading of his word to us today. And uh, I believe that this text is very important to us. You know, as I preached many different uh, missions messages over the years and used many texts, I never really would have considered this to be necessarily a, a missions text. But I think it's one of the greatest texts, I think, that we can be uh, addressing as we look at the needs in the world today. And uh, so I, I believe that we're going to find a lot of the answers to what uh, Peter is, is asking, of what kind of people we are to be based upon that. And I, I believe that's very descriptive of the church and uh, what we need to be in, in order to fulfill the Great Commission. How are we then to live? And so uh, the first consideration we need to look at is that we are a chosen people. That's true. God has chosen us. Now, how, how does that make you feel, that God has chosen you? You know, I grew up uh, in a boarding school and I went to, I, I can remember uh, when the last bell would ring and I'd run from class down to my, board, my dorm room, I'd change my clothes quickly, I'd head for the soccer field to 
wanted to be one of the first people there. And once we got a, to enough kids together to, to, to form two teams, we'd choose a couple of the older kids to be captains. We'd flip a coin and whoever, and someone got to pick first. And I, you know, I was always one of the first ones chosen, even though I was one of the younger ones, because I was pretty good at what I did. I was a good defender. And uh, it always made me feel good to be chosen. And God has chosen us. How does that make you feel? Hmm, what do I have to give? You know, maybe, maybe God has chosen me to be part of his team because of, uh, I'm such a good public speaker. I'm a good evangelist or uh, I, I can contribute a lot of money. I'm, I have a good job and, and all of that. You know, God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't, he's not like, like many who play fantasy football and they, 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 they work hours trying to figure out who the best players are going to put together for their team. No, he doesn't do it that way. In fact, it's interesting in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul talks about the kind of people that God chooses. He says, brothers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Not many, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. And then Peter uh, with that same thought, uh, I think, goes on to say, when, when God shows us, he says, we were still in darkness. He, he stopped there. He said, you weren't even a people. You had not even yet received God's mercy when God chose you. God chose me. God chose you for a reason. So that his grace and his power and his praise and his glory might be known to the nations I believe this is one, perhaps one of the greatest motivations that we can have for missions today, that the nations might give glory to God. God chose us when we were nothing. We had nothing to offer so that when people see God's transforming power in us, they can say, isn't God good? That's what, that's what Peter says here. He says, this is so that you can show others the goodness of God. When people look at you, do they say, isn't God good? I hope that when they see me, I, I can remember years ago as a young college student, I went to the Coal Falls College. I thought maybe I might go into ministry and, you know, I, I was pursuing that. But over time, I began to analyze my own personal giftings and, you know, abilities. And I, I finally came to the conclusion, you know, I can't preach. I can't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a terrible evangelist. Uh, I, uh, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good public speaker. All the things that you think that, you know, someone who's in ministry should be able to do. And finally, I said, okay, the only thing I can do well is play soccer. What can you do with that? And so I began looking for other options for my life. And one summer, I went to Africa. After I made that decision, I went to Africa to visit with my folks. And one day, my dad, another missionary, and myself went uh, fishing on a, a nearby lake. And uh, about mid midday, as I was sitting on the very front of that boat, uh, suddenly I found myself pulled out of the boat into the water, pulled under the water by a hippopotamus. Hippopotamus came up. Just, I never even saw the thing when it came up. Uh, it took me totally by surprise. His tooth hooked, my, uh, hooked, hooked me right above my right ankle and, uh, and took me down to the bottom and began to shake me in an effort to kill me. My dad and the other missionary were spilled into the water because the boat overturned at the same time. And I, at that moment, I believed I was going to die. There's no way you can ever escape from an animal this size. And uh, so uh, we... Uh, but uh, I, somehow I managed to escape. 
I swam to the surface quickly, had just enough time to gasp just a little bit of air into my lungs. And uh, again, the hippo came up behind me and uh, pulled me under. This time, my whole waist was in its mouth, <clears throat> down to the very bottom, doing the same thing. I managed to get out of its mouth again and swim underwater a short distance before I came to the surface. And the uh, first person I saw was my dad. He had swum to a little tree and was holding on to that. And when he saw me come to the surface, he said, John, swim for me. So I began to swim towards my dad. At the same time, the hippo came up behind me and saw me swimming away and began to pursue me. My dad said he made three large leaps out of the water with his mouth wide open in an effort to, to attack me once more. As I got to where my dad was, uh, the, the hippo disappeared right down at our feet under the water. And my dad was praying out loud, Lord, send that hippo away. There was nothing else we could do. There was no safety zone. Uh, uh, as he prayed, the hippo surface, but it was a short distance from us looking at us and went under the water again. We thought, here he comes. He's going to kill us both. But uh, it wasn't uh, the plan of God. And uh, eventually the hippo disappeared completely. It's a long story. don't have the time to, to share with you uh, more of that. But uh, I obviously survived that. I uh, didn't get to a hospital till about um, 6.30 the next morning. And uh, over a long period of time, there was, there was a, a healing process that took place. But the important thing that, that happened was what God did for me at that moment uh, over time. Uh, I began to, as that was when I finally yielded myself completely over to God, saying, okay, God, I, I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't do all of these things I'm, I, I think I ought to be able to do uh, in order to serve you, but uh, whatever you decide to do through me, I am willing to do that. I'll be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece. And, you know, it's been a, an amazing journey that God has taken me on. As uh, we look back, I can look back over the past 30 years or so and see how God has, has worked through us through, in the ministry, in the pastorate, as a missionaries in Africa, and now in South America, doing what we're doing. It's just been an amazing journey. But it's all God. Uh, when I, uh, all the things that I told God that I wasn't able to do are the very things that God had me doing all through all of these years uh, that I find myself doing. God chose us in order to reveal his goodness and his power among the nations. How are we to live? We are to be poster children of his goodness and grace because it's not about us at all. It's all about him. A second uh, thought that I want to share with you is that we are to be a priesthood. He calls us a priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests. Uh, this is a repeat of what God told the Jews back in Exodus chapter 19. He said, you are to me a kingdom of priests. Not just a, a kingdom with priests, but a kingdom of priests. Each one was to be a priest. Women, women, children, uh, men of all ages, they were to be priests of God. They were to, what, what does that mean, to be a priest? Does that mean I got to quit my job? To, to, to no. Being a priest to God means that you represent God. You represent God to the people, to the world, and the world to God. And uh, that is basically what that is saying. Um, we are in service. We are to mediate between God and man. Back years ago when my parents first went as young missionaries to Cote d'Ivoire, they began to learn the language. That's part of what all international workers do, right? And uh, they, be, they were learning the Baoli language. And, but over, they would have a, a regular visitor that came to the door uh, and 
they would allow her to, they, she would knock, they, she would, they'd open the door, they'd put a chair there for her to sit, but she'd kneel there and she'd begin praying in her African language. And uh, then she'd get up and leave. And they had no idea what she was praying about. So uh, finally, over time, as they uh, began to make progress in the Baoli language, they began to understand what she was praying about. And uh, they, they found that she was praying that one day God would give them a child that they would be able to give to him in service and ministry uh, to serve him. And uh, shortly after I was born, on December 25th, I won't say what year, and uh, uh, by the way, my initials are JC. But, uh, you know, you don't have to have a story like that in your life to know that God has, uh, that you are in service to God. You are to be in service to God. Uh, you are a priest. You are a priest. You are to represent the world to God and God to the, the world. One of my favorite verses is found in Ephesians chapter 4, where uh, Paul says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, these are all the leaders, recognized leaders of the church, right? They're the ones that are supposed to be pastoring, the ones that are preaching and evangelizing and doing all the work, right? No. Because he goes on to say, He gave us those leaders to do what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Yes, God gave you your pastors and your leaders. Why? So that they can facilitate you to go out and minister, to serve this community, your Judea, your Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. I am so happy for this renewed vision that we're beginning to see in the Christian Missionary Alliance for uh, the renewed call of professionals, or doctors and engineers and teachers, professors and, uh, and many others who are going to the nations, taking the skills that God has given to them and using that to plant his kingdom around the world. And uh, as we work in South America and with our, our candidates that we are preparing from there to go to the nations, I'm impressed by the growing number of professionals among them. As a missional people, as a, a royal priesthood, you know, the, the Old Testament terms is priesthood, you know, I, I think uh, what we might use today for what a priesthood would be would be a missional. And we talk a lot about a missional church, you know, missional people. I, I think that's what that's really saying. You know, we are to be missional, a missional people. Uh, how are we to live? Every day, 24-7, should be lived out in service to God. It's not just when we're, you know, when we're at work, we, don't, we, we live a secular a lifestyle or at our home, but when we're at church, you know, it's all about ministry. No, it's nothing like that. It's 24-7 we are to represent God in our conversation, in our actions, in everything that we do and say. We are to represent the world to him. So when you walk out this door, you are entering your mission field. We are to bring God to the peoples of the world. We are a chosen people that he has, he has chosen us. And then finally, we are to be a holy people, God's holy people. You know, I, years ago when I was, uh, we were still in Guinea, uh, during the month of Ramadan, we worked among Muslims and during the Ram, uh, month of Ramadan, which is the Muslim day, uh, month of fasting, uh, the men would typically would spend the days in the mosque, in their local mosque, uh, reading through the Quran and studying the Quran. And so uh, one day, my good friend Isa, and that's the, the Islamic name for Jesus, 
asked if I would accompany him to his local mosque. So uh, on a certain day, I, I arrived at his home, and we walked down together uh, to his mosque. And we entered there. It was a simple rectangular building. I had my Quran with me, and uh, so uh, as I entered that little building, I, I saw there were a number of men already gathered together, sitting on the floor, as they would typically do. Uh, with their shoes off, etc. So uh, I joined them uh, there on the floor uh, with my Quran, tried to follow along as best I could. But over time, I, I began getting tired. You know, I'm, I'm a North American. I'm not used to sitting on the floor for long periods of time. My back began to ache a little bit. So I noticed that there was this pillar uh, right in the center of this building, holding, helping to hold up the, the roof. So I kind of just scooted over and leaned against that pillar. And, uh, and then I finished out the my, rest of my time there, leaning against the pillar, following along, and later I said my, my goodbyes and left. Well, a few days later, I, I ran into my friend Isa. He said, oh, you would not believe what happened after you left. The men were talking, and they, they said they could not believe. This man, this, this stranger, uh, must be a holy person, a holy man, because he leaned up against the pillar of our mosque. Okay, I'm glad that that had a good uh, meaning and not a, something negative. Uh, but the, you know, the, that tells us that people are watching. They're watching our every move. They're hearing all the words that come out of our, our mouths. The world is watching. What kind of people are we? Are we a holy people representing God? This is, again, in continuity with what God was expecting of Israel. Israel was supposed, supposed to be a holy nation representing God to the, to the nations. The nations were to be attracted to God because they saw the holiness of God through the people of Israel. But that's not what happened is that over and over again, Israel failed in this task. Instead of, uh, of, of retaining their, their purity and, and holiness, representing God to the nations, they instead uh, began to become like the unbelievers, believing nations, the ungodly nations around them. Uh, Peter tells us a few verses down from our text. He says, be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors, even if they accuse you of doing wrong. They will see your honorable behavior and will believe and give glory to God. You know, for years it was believed that the best way for a person to live a holy life was to, was to leave society and, and live in a monastery and uh, free from all the temptations of the world. Is that what was intended, what God intended for his people? Uh, when we do that, that becomes all about us. This is far from what God had in mind. Just as God has a purpose in choosing us, He has a purpose in us being His holy people. Paul said it very well when he said, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and therefore glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who are the ones that we are to show our light to? Other believers? No. When you take a flashlight outside in the bright of day and you turn that flashlight on, does it have any effect at all? No, it doesn't. Only in darkness will that light suddenly illuminate and become effective. No, friends, we, yeah, it's true that we are not of this world. We're of another kingdom. But we are in this world. And the only way that we can be effective in this world is if we go to the darkness. It's what Jesus talked about in his parables. Remember the 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 the, the uh, weeds and the and the good uh, crop growing up together. Uh, the, uh, the good fish and the bad fish being gathered up in the nets together. We are to represent God in the darkest places of the world. 
Now, the mission's emphasis for the past several years of the Christian Missionary Alliance has been that sometimes the only way that people in these dark areas of the world can hear the gospel is if an international worker goes, leaves their home and goes directly to them. Uh, there are many things that we could be talking about today in terms of facts and, and uh, figure. You know, for example, four out of five of the existing 7,000 people groups that still remain without the gospel of Jesus Christ live in restricted areas of the world where missionaries are not allowed to go. Um, 86% of all Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist people have never even had a conversation with the Christ follower in their lives. There is so much more that needs to be done. The point here is that we need to take God's holiness to them, to the world. The gospel is historical. We know that to be true. It's cultural. It's cross-cultural. You know, as missionaries, we want to make sure that uh, the, the gospel that we take is culturally relevant. And we, we can talk about contextualization. I got tons of stories. But uh, the, the gospel is also countercultural. As much as I want to be inclusive, the gospel is exclusive. That's why the early church experienced so much persecution in those first 300 years. Rome was very inclusive of all religions, of all gods. Uh, there was a high tolerance for other faiths. They just couldn't tolerate a religion that was exclusive, believing their God to be the only God who refused to even offer a simple sacrifice to, to, to Caesar. But in all other ways, Christians showed themselves to be good citizens of the, of, of the empire. You know, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we all who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ or citizens of the kingdom of heaven live by rules of that kingdom. We are to love our enemies. We are to build up our treasures in heaven. We are to be slow to anger. We are to treat others in the same way that we ourselves want to be treated. We are to hunger and, and thirst after the things of God. We are to be peacemakers. We are to accept and expect persecution, etc. Our words are to be different. Our actions, our thoughts different. Our value systems different. Our, our perspective on money is to be different. Our lifestyle, how we relate to others is to be different. Now, this is in contrast to the values of the world, which honors self-sufficiency and wealth and pleasure, and taking revenge and uh, physical appearance and strength, etc. But because of these differences, there will be a certain amount of uh, persecution and uh, rejection and, and hostility. But on the other hand, the holiness of God draws people to Him. People long for this, something different. Our odor can be a sweet perfume, or it can be an odor of death. That's what the Bible says. I heard a preacher once say that he wasn't a, a, a Christ follower because of what he read in this book, but, but by what he saw of this book lived out in the people around him. We are being watched and as I believe what Peter said to be true, that they will see your honorable behavior. They will believe and give glory to God. How are we then to live? We are, have been chosen to be priests, a holy people. We've talked about what that means. Alliance people today are, are living out the, these truths all over the world, here in their own communities, uh, working with international students and, their, and, 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 inter, and universities close to them. They're reaching out to immigrants. They're, they're sh uh, serving on short-term teams and long-term uh, teams. And they're, they're planting churches. They're digging wells. They're, they're engineers. They're doctors. They're builders. Uh, each one serving God in incredible ways. I love the video 
of what this church is doing. Some of the people that were talking about how God is using, just through baking goods. Ah, that's great. God uses those things to impact the world for his, for his kingdom. Maybe God has given you a vision or a calling, not just for here, but maybe somewhere else around the world. Don't let, don't let your start be the thing that keeps you from fulfilling what God has purposed in your heart to do. Don't let your start be the thing that keeps you from fulfilling what God has purposed in your heart to do. I love the story of Nehemiah, simple cupbearer for the king. Uh, uh, he, he's the one that served the wine, tasted the wine first, and then gave it to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. And one day he uh, heard some men from Jerusalem talking about how the walls of Jerusalem are still you know, destroyed, the gates of the city still on the ground. And, uh, and when he heard those, that's, that information, he, suddenly God put a vision, something on his heart to do something about that. And I don't know if he even knew which end of the hammer to hold. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But uh, he had a vision to do something about that. And so with permission from the king, he goes to, back to Jerusalem and, and he begins the process of uniting the people to build the walls and to reinstall the gates of the city. They say that the, the, the work that he was able to accomplish in the period of time that he had to do it in is one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. In Nehemiah, we also read that God delights in small beginnings, right? God delights in small... What has God purposed in your heart? What vision has God given to you to accomplish? You know, the Christian Missionary Alliance began as a vision of one man who had quit his church because that church had a lack of vision to reach the immigrants and the poor in their city and as well as those uh, and with the lack of vision for going out to sending missionaries around the world. And, uh, but uh, that man uh, put an ad in the paper for, to see if any others had the same kind of vision that he had. And, and eventually he, he started his ministry with seven people, seven people. You know, over the process of all these years now, today, all told, the Christian Missionary Alliance is over 6 million worldwide, uh, worshiping in 180 different languages in 22,000 churches. We're working with 56 partner nations, and 22 of these are, in the, are sending their own missionaries. We are privileged, my wife and I, to work with uh, at least six maybe seven of these countries in South America who are now sending their own missionaries to Africa, to Asia, to Indonesia, to, to places all around the world, places of the greatest need. And our churches are beginning to see that they are not just a mission field to receive missionaries, but they are a force for missions. They are a force for missions uh, to send missionaries to the ends of the earth. God has blessed them for over 100 years with missionaries from the Christian Missionary Alliance. And now it is their turn to bless the nations. It's good to see others taking up the mantle for completing the Great Commission. But now is not the time for us to slow down. Let's not like be, be, be like, like Mike and, and Mary Ann who spent their remaining days in the cellar of a city hall protected from and insulated from a world that was threatening their very existence. As we close this morning, I just want to just, again, remind you that never doubt that God has chosen you. You are on his team. It doesn't matter what talents you have to bring to the table, what you think you can or what you think you can't do. In fact, the less that you have, the more glory he receives. I'm still a, a terrible evangelist. I don't think I'm a very good preacher at all I, or a teacher, but you know, when God... and uh, 
opens the door for you to do something, puts a vision in your heart to do something, to accomplish something. It's him that does the work through us. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouthpiece. Second, you are a priest. You represent God 24-7 and everything that you do and say. You are called to the world. You are, are you waiting for a special missionary call? That may never come. You know, you are already called. The Great Commission was already said. It's already been given. For your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a priest. You are a priest representing the world to God and God to the world. And then your holiness needs to shine in the deepest, darkest places of the world bringing transformation. But you know, that can only happen as we ourselves are transformed by the light of, of Jesus Christ. That means living according to the standards of the kingdom of God, not according to this world. As we close, I just want to again thank this church for your many years of, of uh, service through the Mission, Christian Missionary Alliance, your prayers. Uh, we could not do what we do without the prayers of so many. Uh, we could not do what we do without your generous giving. I, I would encourage you to continue to give so that so many others can go and serve around the world. But it encourages me too as I talk to many of you who are involved in various ministries, not just here, but also making short-term trips, your doctors, your, your professionals, and you are plugged in to what the Alliance is doing around the world. You are impacting the world through the things that God has allowed you to, to do, to learn and to be. And so I just wanted to continue to encourage you in that and that we work together. <laughs> this is not uh, just a handful of people doing things, but we are all working together. We are working together as a team, part of God's team to serve him. You, me, everybody. Let's just uh, stand as I close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, I just want to thank you for the, this, these people. I want to thank you for uh, uh, the opportunity that we've had to get to know one another, but most importantly, to, to hear their stories. But also, Lord, I, I, just, I am so encouraged by this church. I am so encouraged by the way that you are working through each and every one here to impact not just their Jerusalem, but their Judea, their Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, I just ask that there are some who just come here on a Sunday just just because uh, that's what they think that they need to do, that they will begin to realize that being a part of your team, part of your family, there are responsibilities to that. And uh, that there is more to it, to living a discipleship life, a, a life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, than just coming to church, but that we begin to open our eyes to the opportunities around us. Allow your spirit to speak to each and every one to be able to plug in in some way into this community and around the world. Oh, Father, we just thank you so much for this church. I pray your greatest blessing upon each and every one here in Jesus' name.